Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Rebel News live stream on this, a Thursday, July 8th, 2021. I'm David Menzies and, well, my co-host. You know, I nickname her the Triple E. She is the epitome of execution <laughs> excellence. She is the she-devil with a sword. She is the Khaleesi of Northern Alberta. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How you doing, Sheila? David, I'm doing great. Um, but Justin, I would be doing much better if I could see this Skype feed in my monitor because I just, I long to see David's smiling face. That's all I want <laughs> in the world. It's 10 a.m. I need my David fix. Oh, there you are. That's great. Oh, Perfect. Uh, Not many thanks, people Justin. say that. Not many people want to see my face. Not many people of the female gender in high school wanted to see my face. So what a wonderful compliment you gave me, Sheila. <laughs> you know what? Read the story of the ugly duckling. You know, you're just growing <laughs> to a beautiful swan and it's fine. <laughs> when is when or oh when is my Cinderella or should I say Cinderfella moment going to happen? <laughs> I think the day that that beautiful lady Menzies said, fine, I'll marry you. I think, <laughs> you know, I think that's the day that you had your Cinderfella moment. Actually, it was kind of the other way around. I have the firm belief no. that, oh yeah, Sheila, you know how it works. Basic, I'll tell you, it was way back in 1990 and Lady Menzoid and I, the future Lady Menzoid, were driving along and we had just come back and this is always the trigger, I think, from one of our friends' weddings. And we're driving up uh, Bathurst in Toronto. And this is what she said. Uh, David, I'm beginning to wonder about the direction of this relationship. And the translation is, a ring goes on this finger in three months or it's adios muchachos. Okay, so yeah, it was kind of a nudge, nudge into that. So there you go. How did it happen for That's you, That's funny. How did we get married? Like, how did the proposal? I, I I don't. It was not even remotely that interesting. It was like, well, you're going overseas to work. Uh, <laughs> you're going to a dangerous place. I don't think it's appropriate for your mom to have to deal with getting your corpse home if something happens. And he's like, yeah, you're making a lot of good points. And I'm like, okay, well then we should just sort of formalize it. And that, I mean, it's it's not romantic. It's practical. And I think that's sort of how I am, anyways. And it's sort of how he is. And you know what? It works for us, well, so it's it good. Sounded like the negotiation you'd go through to buy a minivan or something. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It works. It works. You know, not everything is a uh, is a fairy tale. Not everything is like romantic music and getting swept off your feet. Sometimes two practical people build a practical life and raise some practical kids doing practical things. And that's just how it works out. Yeah, but it helps with the romantic music. We once went to a Hungarian place <laughs> and they had a guy with the, the violin. And uh, I said, uh, can you play something romantic? And he said, sure. He said, what do you want? I said, uh, how about Hold That Tiger? And he had said, Hold That Tiger, that's a romantic song? I said, it is for another tiger. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Should we tell everybody what we're doing here? Um, we are four minutes into the show. Things are um, they're going so fast. The <laughs> yeah, they're going so fast. People are probably going to start checking out here. Um, this okay. is the Rebel <laughs> Daily News live stream where David and I do things other than give relationship advice. Um, we talk about the news of the day. It used to just be on Friday. Uh, hosted by Ezra, pandemic struck, everybody's sort of locked down, the news is changing day by day, so we thought, you know what, 
We're around, you're around. Let's talk to you for an hour every single day at noon or 10 a.m. my time, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. And it gives us a chance to interact with each other, which is fun because I'm not in the office like everybody else is. So it helps me feel connected to everybody. But uh, it gives us a chance to interact with our viewers. Um, And if you are watching us on YouTube, which is where we used to primarily be until YouTube fell out of love with us and uh, they're actively doing their best to deplatform us. They've already completely demonetized us, taking $400,000 right out of the middle of our company. But we're still streaming there. So if you're watching us there, thanks. Nice to meet you. Might I suggest you move over to a platform that doesn't care about your politics. Really, that's what I want. I don't want even a conservative platform. I want a platform that doesn't care about my politics and allows for the free market of ideas. And so we are also, besides the censorship platform of YouTube, where it's great for you to find us, but don't stay there. Join us over on Odyssey. Um, And while you're there on Odyssey, you can do something called a hyperchat. And you have to buy some of their library cryptocurrency. And you can give us a little bit of it if you want to support the work that we do, because we don't get any money from Justin Trudeau. We're also over on SuperU. Again, a great free speech platform. You can leave us a tip over on SuperU. And we're also streaming on Rumble. So you do have some alternatives to the censorship garbage fire of YouTube. You know, Sheila, speaking of relationship advice, um, I look at the boardroom and I look at those plaques that YouTube used to send us. One, I think, was for mm-hmm. 100,000 subscribers. One was for hitting the million mark. And um, and now it's gone from sending us beautiful plaques that we've put in the boardroom proudly on display to, um, could you kind of like leave now? <laughs> I mean, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... We started off so strong, right? You know, like they liked us, we liked them. And then, you know, they they got cooler friends, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you know, we were we were great together and then they got more popular than we did and then they started to want to hang out with the cool kids and we weren't so cool anymore. And so they don't like us. And my theory, Sheila, 2016 was the year. I mean, that was when Donald Trump got elected. That mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to happen. The Silicon Valley Mandarin said to themselves, have we given this kind of a uh, uh, person a uh, platform in which to uh, become president of the U.S.? This this was never in the cards. I mean, the, the first shot across the bow was um, Brexit. But, you know, that was way over yep. there in Europe across the pond. But when Trump became the real bona fide U.S. president, that's when I noticed a shift in the wind, Sheila, in terms of the censorship. Yeah, I mean, we all saw it in action Trump went around the mainstream media. That's what the beauty of social media was, at least in its inception, was you could go around the, I guess, self-censorship and selective news coverage from the mainstream media. And for Trump, he could speak directly to the people um, and connect directly to them. His message did not have to be filtered through the crones at CNN. He could just talk directly to the people he wanted to talk to, which is the American people. And I think in, um, I guess, in response to that, um, that's where the censorship started moving. You know, like these conservatives are talking to each other online. 
We have to make sure that they don't talk to each other. We have to make sure conservative politicians don't tell the other side of the story. Like, even when it comes down to what happened um, on the Capitol with the riots, we saw CBC taking an active approach to censoring in their comment section anything that said mm, maybe Donald Trump didn't incite the riots. And here's the link to his Twitter statement. CBC actively censored that out of their comment section until such time as Twitter actually took it down. So even what like they were taking down evidence of the facts yeah. to fit their narrative. And I, I guess that's where we are now. And we've got President Biden. So yeah. it's how, only going to get worse. And how perverse it is that uh, ex-President Trump remains banned on so many social media platforms. It, I can never get used to saying that, but we'll see what happens in the near future. Now, Sheila, I don't, Mr. Producer has neglected to give me the topic sheet, but I believe oh. you wanted to talk about um, when Mocha and I had a little visit up to yes. Sterling, Ontario, and uh, what was once a beloved waterhole for almost a century, well, tis no more. Oh, the waterhole's still there, but you just can't use it. Check out this video, folks. Now here's another interesting sign, and it reads, this fence cost Sterling Rawdon taxpayers $48,753. Can you imagine that, folks? After going through all this misery in the pandemic and all the economic havoc it has created, somehow this little township has found almost 50 grand to spend on a fence to further make people's lives miserable. Unbelievable. I think there's enough space in between those two fence posts there for me to squeeze through. And I'll continue walking, looking for hopefully a hole to get into the water. David Menzies for Rebel News here in front of Harold Quarry just north of Sterling, Ontario. Well, folks, I can tell you what an incredible July summer day it is here in this region. It's like 33 degrees in the shade. It's so hot, I saw a dog chasing a cat and they were both walking. Hey, enough with the bad jokes, but I'll tell you something that's really not funny. For almost a century, this waterhole in the quarry has served as a place of recreation for people in this community. People would go here to swim, they'd go here to get drinking water, they'd go here to get water for other needs. And then just a few weeks ago, this fence surrounded the quarry, a fence I should point out that is uh, topped with barbed wire and suddenly no one is allowed here. There's even trespassing signs and no parking signs. And what was once a cherished summer uh, place to go to, and in winter too, when the water would freeze, it was a place where people would skate. Well, it's off limits. And the reason is safety. Evidently, the insurer for the town said that there were serious potential liability issues with this swimming hole at the quarry. Now, I'm not sure if they're worried about people drowning. I'm not sure if this is a COVID thing. But nevertheless, the mayor and the council, who I've reached out to, by the way, and they haven't returned my email, the town said, OK, we'll wall it off 
with an almost $50,000 expenditure so that on a hot summer day like this, nobody can go swimming. Now, recently, about 50 people violated the rule. The Ontario Provincial Police came. They didn't lay any charges, but they had a talking to to the people violating this uh, no swimming rule. And it is just inexplicable, folks. I mean... A playground has potential serious liability issues. Should municipalities all across our great dominion tear down the swings and the monkey bars and whatnot so that nobody uh, gets a sprained ankle? Well, in any event, one of the things I want to find out is that last Monday, when those demonstrators slash swimmers came by, how did they get into the quarry? I mean, this town is really serious. That is razor sharp barbed wire. So I'm just wondering how they got in. The fence, as you can see, it has three locks on it. So they're not fooling around. I'm gonna walk around the perimeter and see if there's a hole in the fence because you know what folks, I, uh, I brought my swimming trunks and I could sure go for a dip right now. Well, there's another fence here. Huh. So I'm gonna try the other way around, walking along the highway. As you can see, this is where people would park, but uh, that's off the charts too, because they've got a new gate here, and naturally the gate is locked. Wow, talk about a no fun zone, eh? Do rigor, no trespassing signs. Now this is interesting. Here is a sign and it reads, water is a human right. Well, you know what? I would agree with that. Without water, we cannot survive. And to fence off this water like this, what a travesty. Now this is interesting, I see another layer of fencing here, which might suggest that this is where the original fencing was clipped open to let people get down the hill and into the quarry for some uh, water recreation, but uh, I don't know, I'll keep walking. Well, Shayla, I, I did solve the mystery later when a passing farmer came by about those Dominion Day protesters that had the swim in. Um, they brought ladders and they brought thick blankets. So you climb yeah. up the fence, throw your blanket over the barbed wire and jump off onto the other side. And he said there's now speculation that the council might dig into more taxpayer revenue and make a higher uh, barbed wire fence, in which case he said, well, we'll just bring high, taller ladders and more blankets. But Sheila, yeah. what is your reaction to this no fun zone madness that we see? Municipalities, uh, governments in general, just a bunch of insufferable fun burglars. I mean, <laughs> the I've seen less fencing and like easier fences to climb at a women's prison. Like I, I, oh, yeah. I don't, they like, use razor wire to keep people out of the local swimming hole. What inspired this? Like what necessitated the government costs where they're just like, Oh, citizens are having like fun. Let's go burgle it. What, what prompted all of this? Well, Sheila, it's, 
part and parcel of a trend that I noticed beginning back in the 1990s. And it was <clears throat> lawyers going to councils. And I, I lived in an area of uh, Toronto, East York at the time, where this actually happened. They said, you know what, we're looking at that playground equipment could pose uh, a certain danger. And in that uh, borough, um, tons of playgrounds were eradicated. Um, what used to happen, Sheila, is that a mayor or a council person or the entire council would have a spine. And they would say to the lawyer, by the way, don't blame the lawyers on this, folks, because sure. they're just doing what they're supposed to do. Say, you know, here are some potential, you know, so potential hazards. If, if a kid fell and, you know, broke, broke their arm, you might get sued by the parents. They're, they're not saying tear it down. They're saying here's a potential. But what used to happen is you'd have politicians, elected officials say, thank you very much for your advice. We're going to roll the dice. We don't want to yep. tear down the swings and the monkey bars and the slides and make summer miserable for the kids. So if that lawsuit does happen, we'll take it when we come. We've gone from that to increasingly, oh, well, we got a legal opinion. We got we to gotta get rid of this. I remember five years ago for Rebel, I covered where I live right now, Sheila, in Richmond Hill. The Richmond Hill Council <clears throat> got a legal opinion that we shouldn't be playing O Canada before council meetings start because of all that, you know, that God lyric, it might offend atheists. And they stopped playing O Canada. They've since rectified that with regime change. And one last thing, Sheila, I want to say is that um, when I reached out uh, to the mayor and he did get back to me sending the note from the insurance company saying, we might have to raise your premiums if you let people uh, go there. I'm still not sure if the concern is a drowning issue, a slip and fall issue, or is it more of this COVID-19 madness that if people go there, they won't socially distance. I don't have an answer to that. And um, so this beloved waterhole, and I can't find any support by people on the street for it being walled off like this. It's yep. gone much like our, our beloved uh, colleague in uh, Coburg, uh, Tamara Ugolini. Uh, once again, their gorgeous sandy beach has a Berlin wall fencing that off from the people that do do COVID. Sheila, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of these gutless wimps in a position of power capitulating to the yeah. bogeyman, you know, under the bed that doesn't exist. Well, and think about just the possible consequences of all of this. So we have to fence off the water hole that was easily accessible. It looks like it's got a nice, you know, easy grade to get down to it. It does. Um, we, we've got to fence that all off in the interest of public safety. So now the only way to get in is to roll under the fence at, like Mocha did. <laughs> and there's a steep drop off when you roll under the fence. Um, because as you can see all the way around, like it, there's steep edges, except where they've got the, it, the like nice grade blocked off or get a ladder and some blankets. And hopefully you don't catch yourself on some razor wire. So 
that's how you get in. So people are going to get in. They're just going to do it in a more unsafe manner because the politicians decided to put up this fence to make everybody more safe. No, uh, well put, Sheila. And uh, I, you know, I'd have some understanding if someone came forward and said, well, Menzies, look at the stats. Do you know we have an average of 12 people drowning in this waterhole every summer? Sure. But nothing could be further from the, ca- from the case, uh, Sheila. When I spoke to that farmer, he said about five years ago, um, a woman tragically committed suicide by driving her vehicle into that uh, body of water. Uh, that is a deliberate act. That is where someone is trying to terminate their life. And unfortunately, she was successful in doing so. So I don't even think that counts as a, as a no. drowning death because it was intentional. So this yeah. is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist unless it's more of this COVID madness that is fun in life. Well, and so, okay, so we have one suicide there. Very tragic, terrible. Um, uh, Are they doing this in the name of that woman? I wonder what her family has to say about all of this. Mm. And secondarily, how does that constitute putting up this barrier all the way around? If that's a thing that you think is going to happen again, why don't you put some concrete barriers at the bottom of that nice slope so that nobody can drive their car in anymore? Wow. You know, yet again, Sheila Gunn-Reed, you have proven why you need to run for office (laughs) and make the decision. Don't say those things. You are are a one-woman common sense revolution, Sheila. So uh, good on you. Yeah, so... uh, Basically, to, to put an epilogue on this, uh, Mulk and I will be going back probably this Saturday. We understand it, it's dependent on the weather. If it's hot and sunny, there will be another swim in protest. And uh, some of these people, I can tell you, Sheila, they want to get ticketed by the OPC. Sure. They want their day in court to argue how insane this is. And, you know, where are the tickets when you really need them? <laughs> the, yeah, the cops aren't aren't playing ball in uh, uh, sent giving tickets, but maybe that'll change on Saturday. So uh, if you're in the Sterling area in the afternoon uh, and, and you want to go for a swim and you want to come on camera to Rebel News, uh, Mocha and I are hopefully uh, going to be there if there is indeed another swim in protest planned. You know, these are like small town local stories, like but. They get international interest because everybody lives in a community that does this sort of dumb stuff. Yeah. Like everybody knows a local project or a local government decision that is really expensive, really stupid and in search of uh, like a solution in search of a problem. Everybody knows one. And so that's why it's like, yeah, it's little Sterling, Ontario. But everyone, everybody is interested in these kinds of stories because they're just so stupid and perennial and, and irresponsible in terms of yeah. finances. I mean, almost 50 K for that fence. And you can tell the residents are not on board They're They're using this no. now as, a, as a protest site. You saw the sign water is a human right. You saw the other sign shaming yeah. the council for the almost 50 grand spend. So there was no popular support for this. I wonder uh, if Mayor Mullen and the rest of the councillors are going to survive this uh, when the elections are held um, next year, I think it's next year, um, because that's one way to bring about uh, common sense regime change. You could put 
a lifeguard on duty there for the summer months for $20,000 if you're concerned about safety. Yeah. You know, like you could make it a summer student job and they could have saved some money, created a job for a summer student, although I hate the idea of government creating jobs. But if it's a safety issue, um, whatever, they could have done this for half of it and allowed the people to still use their watering hole. I wouldn't be surprised, Sheila, in a small community like that, in that township, they if you volunteered. Had volunteers. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. if it meant uh, saving the swim hole, uh, you know, I, I could see easily that happening. But, um, well, uh, yet more misery uh, may be due to COVID-19, which has absolutely nothing to do with a virus, right? <laughs> yeah. And Justin just sent me a quick update here about Odyssey. Oh, he says, yes, so Odyssey, so one of the platforms that we're streaming on, good free speechy platform, this is the update he sends me because Odyssey has been working on something. They're listening to the people, unlike YouTube, and they've been working on something to help creators monetize um, beyond um, just donating a, a hyperchat cryptocurrency donation. So he says, Odyssey does have a tip function ready you have to have some of their library cryptocurrency to be able to tip. And it's in U.S. dollars right now, but that will change. So um, it says soon just clip the support video under the video to tip. OK, click. OK, so he said it's changing soon. Just clip the support video. Click the support video under the video to tip in a regular currency. So um, Odyssey's support button justin <laughs> so, so i don't know what you're yeah you're having eight conversations none of them are with me so anyways what justin meant to send me in this note is odyssey does have the tip function ready because they've been working on that you have to have some of their library cryptocurrency to be able to tip and it's in u.s dollars right now but that's going to change soon just click the support button, even though Jessa wrote video, underneath the video to tip in regular currency. So that's another way that you can support the work that we do here on Odyssey. So you can uh, do a hyper chat or also tip the video creator directly. So I think that's wonderful. That is fantastic customer service. And I should point out, uh, Sheila, we are not adverse to receiving US dollars as opposed to the Canadian peso. So if there's yeah. anyone out there sitting on a stack of Benjamins that they want to send our way, by yeah. all means, you know, we are equal opportunity uh, recipients. So yeah. there you go. And tip us in Mexican pesos. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you own a wheelbarrow, <laughs> yeah. we're more Whatever. than happy for that. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the US, <clears throat> Our yes. beloved boss, Ezra Levent, was on Tucker Carlson on Fox yesterday. And once again, Ezra knocked it out of the ballpark. Now, we'd love to go inside Canada tonight, but we can't get there. It's like 1985 Albania. It's a closed country. So instead, we're speaking by satellite tonight to Ezra Levant with Rebel Media within Canada. He joins us now. Ezra, thanks so much for doing the show. What is going on in Canada? Serious. I mean, this is it's hard to believe what's happening in Canada. What is this? Well, I'm reluctant to use the word Kristallnacht because uh, we're not there yet. That was the night of the broken glass in pre-Holocaust Germany where they smashed and burned and killed Jewish synagogues. It was a precursor to the Holocaust. Obviously, we are not that far gone yet. But what do you call it when literally dozens of churches are being systematically vandalized, 
torched. There was one fire in the BC interior that wiped out a whole village of 250 people, two people dead, and it is not yet determined who caused it, but it was in an area where other churches have been torched. So it may actually have its first victims. The crazy thing is this is so explicitly an anti-church hate crime wave, and yet Justin Trudeau, who is normally the first and the wokest, waited a week before saying anything, and he literally said, that's not the way to go. That was as tough as he got. He introduced an anti-hate crimes bill in Parliament that's targeting mean tweets and Facebook posts, but literally you have church after church being torched by Antifa-style terrorists, and he's almost silent on the matter, and his right-hand man finds it understandable. I think these are dark days for religious freedom in Canada. Yeah, when they're burning churches and the head of the BC Civil Rights Commission says, burn it all down? I mean, that person sounds like a dangerous lunatic. Is that, I mean, who is that? What is going on? And she hasn't been sacked. That was over a week ago that she said it. In fact, various board members of her Civil Liberties Association have supported her. By the way, these churches often have Aboriginal, Indigenous congregants, and they're saying, don't burn our churches down. It's the Canadian equivalent of when Black Lives Matter burns down Black-owned businesses in Black neighborhoods. That does not help Black people. In Canada, most of these churches are Aboriginal-focused, and you often have, in one case, white Antifa-style vandals filming themselves desecrating a church. And the trouble is, from the very top, it's either silence or tacit support. Yeah, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say that American Christian leaders mostly have been silent about it too, and I, and I wish they wouldn't be. Ezra, I appreciate that report from Canada. I hope sometime to be able to visit Canada once the borders open. But in the meantime, thank you. Thank you. Now, we'd love to... You know, Sheila, I think Ezra really nailed it when he compared the churches that cater to uh, Aboriginal people. They use it for weddings, funerals, community centers. Uh, so who are we saving uh, right now? And contrasting that to what happened last summer in many cities in the United States with Black Lives Matter uh, protesters going into black neighborhoods and burning down black businesses. Yep. How did that advance the cause of uh, social justice rights in the U.S.? How appalling. Well, it's one of those instances of, you know, like in a horror movie when the phone call is coming from inside the house. Um, the phone call is definitely coming from the inside the house once again here where you have a bunch of white do-gooders by and large telling Indigenous people what's best for them. And these white do-gooders are saying your church isn't what's best for you. You, you can't you're not capable of making a decision about what church you have in your community and the church yeah. that you attend. Uh, they are part of the same problem that led to the residential schools where they think that they know what's best for indigenous people and how they should live their lives. And they don't have a moment of self-awareness when they are running around burning churches built by indigenous people, attended by indigenous people, beloved by indigenous people that indigenous people look to when they are dealing with the trauma, this generational trauma of residential schools, many of them turn to their faith and their religion 
that's what it's there for. And then you've got these activists saying, no, 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 I'm here to rescue you. Let me, they're living out this dream of being the white savior and, and burning down their churches for them. Yeah, and as Ezra mentioned, our prime minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, Sheila, uh, he would normally be the first and the most woke when it would come into um, commenting on a place of worship yeah. being burnt down. And his language, it, it basically boils down to, hey, it's not cool, man. And his little buddy, Gerald Butt, says it's understandable. And Sheila, the question I pose to you, uh, it's more than 20 churches, I understand, that have yeah. been vandalized or incinerated. And could you imagine if it was just two mosques, one mosque? You wouldn't be able to hide from the media and political outcry day after day after day. And I'm, I, I don't want any place of worship torched. I want to be clear about that. But the double standard, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it in the morning meeting. Why aren't we addressing this as though it were terrorism? Yeah. These are, if you look at it through that yeah. lens, these are terror cells committing terrorism in indigenous communities. They just happen to be doing it to indigenous Christians, so nobody seems to care. Or churches that are completely unrelated to the residential school system because they don't care about the residential school system. That's just their excuse to attack churches. Like they attacked a Polish Catholic church in downtown Edmonton, no relation to anything. And Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, sorry. Um, sorry to my priests who may or may not be watching. Um, you know, he was the most pro-indigenous Pope literally in the church's history. Yeah. His entire 1984 trip was just a reconciliation apology tour. And and they vandalized his statue in front of that church. And it was an inner city church, too. So it's like, you know, you're not you're not attacking affluent white people. That's for sure. Well, you know, can you blame the Antifa types and whatever who are torching these churches when you have a Gerald Butts? and a Prime Minister Trudeau, and that woman that uh, Tucker, that's what I love about Tucker, he doesn't beat around the bush. I know. Tucker called a dangerous lunatic <laughs> with the she BC is. Civil Rights Association. <laughs> I mean, how insane is a civil rights association when basically they're saying it's your civil right to commit arson, right? And meanwhile, turning a complete blind eye for the last year and a half of Canadians having their actual civil rights trampled on because of these crazy COVID fines that we are uh, increasingly getting. Sheila, I, I, just, I just can't believe it. And I can understand why these vandals and arsonists are so emboldened when you have the people yeah. at the top saying, eh, no biggie. Yeah. Or they're like, I get it. Maybe this isn't the way, but I get it. I understand. Like, that is not the proper response to religiously motivated terrorism, which yeah. is what this is. It is. Um, it, it is. And, it, you know, the apologist left on the church burning issue sure were not happy with me when I took a picture that I took of a church in Batnaya, Iraq, and put it side by side, a church in Edmonton that had been vandalized. And one wow. had ISIS graffiti and one had... Um, graffiti that had recently been placed on the church. And they sure didn't like pointing out that they were apologizing away things that 
uh, ISIS does to churches in Iraq, or at least ISIS did to churches in Iraq, they didn't like realizing that they were behaving like the Canadian Taliban. They didn't like that dose of reality. Wow. Well, as Tucker said, dangerous lunatics indeed. That's what they are, uh, Sheila. Well, they're, they're, I, I think they're mentally till, ill and they have access to gasoline. Well, and how long? That's the thing about these anti-religious nut jobs. They don't understand the comings and goings and the day-to-day life inside a church. So in my church, my parish priest lives in the rectory under the church. He's got his offices down there and the uh, there's some banquet halls and stuff down there. And he lives down there. They converted some office space so that he lives down there. It saves money. He, I mean, he's taken a vow of poverty. So if they come to burn down my church in the middle of the night, are they going to kill my priest? Are they going to burn him alive? Because that's the potential here when they do these things, because these anti-religious nuts don't realize that that's a normal practice in a lot of churches, that the priest lives in the church or adjacent to the church. So do the, when does this stop? When some priests die? When the night caretaker dies, when the cleaning crew dies, when Susan from the parish council, who's in there collecting um, the weekly offering to take to the bank, when she dies, when does this stop? No, uh, that's a great point, Sheila. And in the Department of a Perfect Storm, we're, we have regions of Canada that are having record heat waves. Uh, yep. The last thing you want is a burning building because there's a chain reaction effect, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, I can't believe, but then I can believe that we have politicians who are saying stuff like, it's understandable. This is probably not the way to handle it, but it's understandable. Like, I can't believe that that's where we are. And it's almost homogenous when it comes to the mainstream media. They are saying the same things. And that's why Ezra had to go on Tucker. I don't think anybody is more attuned to the church burnings than we are. We're sending people out to cover the church burnings and vandalisms. And it's hard to keep up because there are so many, but there's such a lack of interest in telling the victim's side of the story in these church burnings in Canada that the only people within Canada in the mainstream who are interested, well, there's really not none, Ezra went on Tucker because the Americans are hungry for the other side of the story. And you can't get that from the outside looking in if you only consume our mainstream media. A hundred percent, Sheila. And I think one of the reasons why they're ignoring this incredible story is that if they were to report on it, they would be cheerleaders for the arsonists. I really believe that. I think there are so many far left people that have, you know, wormed their way into the mainstream media that uh, if they didn't have their media job, they'd probably uh, be out with a Molotov cocktail tossing it in the wee hours of, of the morning, too. So um, what, what a disgrace. Yes. Uh, did you ever get a list of the things that we're supposed to be talking about? I did. And okay, um, good. Before, uh, before I do so, do we have any uh, chats that we have to catch up on, Sheila? Or? That's, a, that's a great question, and I'm sure we do. Okay. Okay. We've got a super you shout from G Mike three says, hi, shout out to Justin. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, we've got a hyper chat from history club world. Good job, Sheila on your report. It was quite interesting. I think you're talking about the India trip one, maybe 
um, and has got me worrying about Trudeau. Tell Ezra, good job for being on Tucker. Tell Justin, good job for putting on such an amazing show. Yes. And tell David, good job for his nicknames. Jeez, that, that sounded like a participation award at the end. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Uh, yeah, if we have time, we should talk about um, my access to information oh, yes. story. It just went up today, just went up this morning. Um, if you are just tuning in, you can see it at audittrudeau.com. You can sign our petition there and help fund our legal uh, complaint to the Auditor General to have the uh, India trip completely forensically audited. Um, I'll give you a Coles Notes version, although we'll... Maybe if Justin has time, we'll show a clip. Yeah, and um, Sheila, you waded through 700 pages, right? 1,700. Oop, what 17. am I saying? 1,700. <laughs> Folks, Sheila Gunn-Reed went through 1,700 pages, so you did not have to. Uh, please, you've got to support us for that. Nobody does it better than Sheila Gunn-Reed when it comes to uh, finding the gold nuggets in these uh, access to information reports. And this is a whopper. Yeah, we've only got 15 signatures on that. People who are watching right now, just leave us running in the background. Go over, click on that, sign it. Um, I'll give you a quick Coles Notes version and maybe we'll show a clip in a minute. Okay. So yeah, during the India trip, Justin Trudeau's underlings, the bureaucrats who were planning, wanted to have fancier hotels than their expense accounts would allow. So they pressured an Indian hotel to give them a phantom room, executive level room, so something the prime minister would stay in, charge them for that one. So overcharge on this side for a room they never planned to use to undercharge their rooms. So it was like an expense scheme. Charge us over here because our budget for the prime minister is much higher and you can stick us in these nicer rooms and use the room that we're not using to reduce the rate. So undercharge, overcharge so that they could abuse your expense accounts while they're in India and stay in nicer hotel rooms. And that's not the only time I saw them trying to do that. There's another story where they tried to do something similar, uh, claiming that the minister of foreign affairs was coming. And so the... Uh, Indian government would pay for her room, but she wasn't coming. So they wanted to assign that room to someone else. That's in another story. I'll show you all those documents, but all the documents are there. They even break down the math in case the hotel is having trouble understanding their little scheme. No, charge us for this room because it looks like the prime minister's using it, but we're not going to use it. You could re-rent it. You can do whatever. Put that on a bill for us and then artificially reduce these rooms over here for us. Very sneaky. Unbelievable. You know, Sheila, um, do you think maybe the Canadian Revenue Agency might be interested in this information, or is that just so much wishful thinking on my behalf? We want, yeah, so Justin highlighted it there. So, uh, so uh, it got even worse because, as it turns out, the hotel... Very grateful for the business uh, from this huge Canadian delegation. We took way too many people there. Um, they were. They said, oh, we're already giving you that room for free. So don't <laughs> worry about it. Like the extra room. And so the bureaucrats said, no, don't give it to us for free because that's going to throw a monkey wrench into our little scheme. Charge us for the room you're giving us for free. And you sprinkle the the cost savings am amongst the other people oh to artificially God. decrease their rates. So they 
I guess money's no object when the Canadian taxpayers footing the yeah. bill, like the the hotels, like, no, we actually are giving it to you for free. Use it, do whatever you want with it. And they said, no, 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 you have to charge us for it because we need to fake it on this other side. Very yeah. sneaky. You know, it reminds me of a, it's a story of a few years ago, Sheila, where it was found that the Liquor Control Board of Ontario was offered, it might have been by through Bacardi, but don't quote me on that, but it was a bit by a big liquor supplier that since you're buying so much from us, we can give you a bulk discount, which is basically how Walmart and Costco and the like operate. Sure. Buy and, such. and the LCBO said, um, you know what, it's already in the system at this rate and we'd rather not, you know, bust our candy asses for 10 minutes reprogramming. So just charge us the regular and we'll, we'll pass on the cost to the uh, Ontario consumer who we uh, lord over with our liquor monopoly. It is unbelievable how politicians and bureaucrats are so good at spending our money, eh, Sheila? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that just enrages me because in Ontario, you don't have a choice. No. You have to pay what the government stores are charging. Well, <sighs> it used to be it's our way or the highway. You can't even do that yeah. anymore. I can't drive the Buffalo and buy my hush. The border's closed. So it's our yeah. way or our way. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyways, uh, if people want to go to audittrudeau.com, we are hiring a lawyer to file a formal complaint letter to the auditor general asking that that India trip be audited because I have 1,700 pages of documents. I'm still going through them. And I'm concerned that I don't even have them all. Um, so a forensic audit is necessitated here because, you know what, David, if you or I tried to do that at our private jobs, oh yeah, holy would we ever get shown the door. Um, it's It should be a fireable offense, yep. but it looks like it's a regular practice because they were just doing it all over the place in these documents on the one trip. So imagine what other big, huge trips that they're doing this stuff on. Here's the other factor, Sheila. Say we leap ahead several months and the audit goes through and he's found guilty. What's the penalty? Much like these ethics violations, like what, 350 bucks or something like that? And, you know, mm -hmm. getting a stern, don't do it again. I mean, that's the other factor is like, I, without knowing the nuances, I'm sure the penalty is a joke. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and that's part of the problem here. Um, and that's, you know, I guess one of the reasons why they don't care if they yeah. do these sorts of things um, that could potentially be illegal. I'm not saying they are, but I, I'll leave that up to the auditor general to decide. Um, but that's part of the problem here is that um, at the end of this, they might just get a slap on the wrist. However, I think it is really important to hold these people to account. I agree. Um, they should not be abusing the tax dollars of Canadians this way. Yeah. They are already going on an expensive trip to India. If you've got to stay in a room that has a queen instead of a king, who cares? Apparently the bureaucrats cared because they had this expense scheme going on where they could get themselves the nicer room and hide the cost of it in another place. I guess we were all so distracted by their Mr. Dress-Up uh, haberdashery, <laughs> which is still maybe one of the most embarrassing moments in uh, the Justin Trudeau liberals regime. Uh, I just can't get those images out of my head. <laughs> I had to relive it all this past week. Um, 
especially when the Bollywood stars, I think it was in the New York Times or the New York Post, when the Bollywood stars are like, uh, this guy's more Bollywood than Bollywood. Like <laughs> the Bollywood right. stars yeah. who wear costumes and and participate in grandiose displays <laughs> as a matter of their job. They were like, uh, this guy's a little much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to put in perspective, uh, Sheila, it would be like um, if an Indian uh, came to Canada from India and dressed in the full regal RCMP uniform, you know, uh, yeah. thinking, well, isn't this what Canadians wear on the street? No, you'd stand yeah. out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah, although I kind of like when people from foreign countries come here and they like get in the full cowboy getup. I kind of like that. <laughs> I think it's cute. <laughs> yeah, I had to relive a lot of like Justin Trudeau namasteing his way through <laughs> India. And I was like, ah, oh, God. Three and a half years later, it's still awful. <laughs> Okay, we should get to some of these um, uh, chats here because we only did two and it's uh, 11 minutes left in the show. We've got a super you shout from Annalisa. Good morning to my two favorite people looking very, very handsome, my sweet Menzies. Yeah, I said the same thing. I think he looks great today. Too kind, Annalisa. (laughs) Uh, And then, and then Annalisa left us a super you tip of $10. Thank you. Annalisa. Boy, you're so nice. Again, no accounting for your taste in men, but super nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a super you tip from BB Icon. Tipped us $2. Well, that's great. Thank you. Every little bit helps. Uh, we've got a rumble chat from Joyful Art from the Heart. Was so glad to see this last night on Tucker. Millions watched this. Our mainstream media ignored it, but yeah. now everybody knows. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. If there were a spate of church burnings in Europe, and sometimes they go through that, um, everybody gets up in arms naturally, and we should. This is happening in Canada. And uh, as Tucker points out, like we're we're basically 1985 Albania, like our borders are closed. We can't say certain things on the Internet. They're censoring our free speech. I I noticed this morning on Facebook that Chris Biddle, the um, horrible liberal MP, uh, is bragging about the new gun control legislation oh, being shit. enacted today. Um, and it's like, so it, like our gun owners are being convicted of pre-crimes and um, if they've had any mental health problems in the past, like long their entire lives, by the way, they've made it so that if you've had depression or whatever in your life and you may have been suicidal as a teenager or whatever, that can hurt your ability to buy a firearm today, like as a, as a 40 something year old person, like that's how bad it is. And when you think about it, uh, the Americans must look at us like we are absolutely insane. Like what's going on in that country? Those poor people. Well, you know, Um, Sheila, when the borders open, I suggest you and I uh, fly to Albania and ask the Albanians, (laughs) (laughs) what was it like in 1985? And was it worse than 2021 Canada? (laughs) Yeah, let's compare notes with the Albanians. I've ridden on one of those East German Soviet era trains before. Oh, yeah. And um, I, I, the ambiance is pretty similar to what it's like <laughs> traveling around in Canada. The track didn't go down a meandering mountain or anything like that. It's something that makes you curl up in the fetal position. <laughs> Does it, Sheila? No, it was okay, good. straight. <laughs> straight and uh, but i couldn't look at my phone when i was on the train i was no it's not good um 
we've got a rumble chat from Frog Soup. Getting great exposure for Rebel, the only person telling the real news. Yeah, sometimes it feels that way. I mean, we do have some fellow travelers with uh, True North who's actually, I, I must give them credit, doing some great job covering the church burnings. Um, they're really documenting them as they go. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, just like mostly us. Post-millennial too. Western Standard to some extent a little bit too. Um, we've got a hyper chat from History Club World. Rebel should try to create a show on Fox that gives you one hour to report what is going on in Canada, like when CTV or Global goes to play CNN coverage of American events, unless they make themselves look high and mighty. But you know what? Uh, you know, Sheila, wouldn't it be great if Ezra was a weekly guest, 10 minutes a week, yep. uh, doing the State of the Union address of what's happening in Canada? And I mean, I, I know 100%. a lot of Americans don't care what's happening north of the border, but these kind of issues these resonate and uh with justin trudeau in power and the way we're still locking down this nation there are so many great stories for ezra to expose on tucker's show that i think would get traction well and i think too for our american friends who are just getting into the swing of biden um let us be a cautionary tale yeah of what happens when you elect someone so far left and easy manip easily manipulative, manipulated, manipulated, easily manipulated, because as you know, Justin Trudeau can barely string a thought together, even as I struggle to say that one sentence just there, but he can barely string a thought together. It's all the, the people behind him who are pulling the strings and his advisors. Biden's very similar. Um, and so I think Americans are very interested in what's going on in Canada because we're about five years ahead of you. Um, and so if you don't want these problems that we're experiencing in Canada now, think about being reactive right now in, in the United States. Yeah, we're uh, five years ahead of you and uh, 30 years behind Albania. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might have yeah. mixed up the math on 1985 and 2021, but you know what I'm trying to say, folks. I know it. <laughs> Um, for me, it'll always be 2001. My music taste, my clothing taste, like everything. I just live in 2001. So whatever. <laughs> um, uh, Rumble chat from Share 21. Good job, Sheila. 1700 pages of jargon and you still found the nuggets. Now, we do have a research helper who helps with these things and he's invaluable. He's great. Uh, he's great. Um, he files access to information requests for us all the time. He keyword searches things to make life a little easier. He's absolutely incredible, but he ain't free. Yeah. So um, if if people want to help with our access to information and research needs, I'll direct you to a website. It's called rebelinvestigates.com. We file, I would say, daily at least three or four sometimes even more when we're trying to hit these different agencies with the same requests. Those all cost money. When they come back, we have to read through them. Our researcher helps us. He's amazing. And quite frequently, we get denied. So we need to appeal. And yep. then the appeal costs money. And filing for the appeal takes time and, and blah, 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 blah. To ask questions, the mainstream media gets money from Justin Trudeau to ask, but they're not going to ask him because oh, no. they don't want to show anybody what he's doing behind closed doors. So um, anyways, if you want to help with our um, access to information needs, 
It's at rebelinvestigates.com. No, you're not going to get this information from the mainstream media, folks, because like a good dog, you don't bite the hand that feeds. What an, you know what? I, our researcher actually sent me an email this morning saying something like Global News is three weeks behind Sheila. <laughs> and that's because we have a great researcher who helps with watching some of the like contracts sites um, for the federal government, like buy, sell, gc, ca. And he flagged to me a story about how they were hiring a contractor to lecture mm. white people about how racist they are. And I, I think I did that story three weeks ago, right when the, the contract was posted or the 10, like the ask for the contract was posted. And I see that, I think it's Global News just followed up on it today. Well, you so, know, that's I the mean, thing, that's how, that's how good he is though. That's why, you know, we get ahead of things because of him. No, a hundred percent. And he has um, a memory that would put an elephant <sighs> to shame. And, but that is the thing. When I say the mainstream media doesn't cover this, sometimes the story that we break is so egregious, so outrageous that they have to begrudgingly put something on the record, make it look like they are actually doing real journalism. And that's why yep. on that story, Global was so far behind you. Yeah, always. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we've got a super you tip from Sojourner. Tipped us $2. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And then Sojourner says, but they don't say it's understandable when lockdown protests break COVID rules. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. It's They can understand how a church got burned down, but they don't understand why you don't want to wear a mask in a grocery store. Uh, we've got a rumble chat from Ryan Rosti. Trudeau is a disgrace in every imaginable way. Another rumble chat from Books and Tea. Americans are appalled regarding the church burnings. Yeah, they are. We've got a hyper chat from History Club World. Rebels should maybe start a second dinnertime live show. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> History Club World just wants me to, like, die of overwork. What you see on air is the least of the things I do in a day. Anyways, I bet it would be more. I, I bet it would make more money. Well, it depends. I mean, as soon as these other platforms really get their monetization going, that could be the case. Yeah. It would be a good thing to get news to your audience and entertain them. You know, that when we were allowed to make money on YouTube, our like evening um, things are breaking. Let's just jump on air. Live streams always did really well. People always watched them. People donated a lot in the super chats. They always did really well. And sometimes it's the best way to deal with like, oh, there's a cabinet shuffle, which there is in Alberta, although I, I haven't heard any news about who got moved out of what quite yet. But sometimes that's the best way to deal with news as it happens is to just react. Um, but, uh, you know, as these other platforms ramp up their monetization, that might be something we should think about. I'm game. Um, uh, I, me too. You know what? <laughs> this, the studio is always set up, right? Like it, my computer never moves. The camera never moves. I just get in here and flip on a light and get working. Um, okay. So the next one is a rumble chat from Chrissy's kingdom. JT comes out West. Did he go check on the arson? Yeah. I thought not. He did, he did not, but he did go get a picture taken at a residential school unmarked graveyard with mm -hmm. a teddy bear. So, I mean, just literally standing on the graves of dead kids to get a photo. Just gross. Just yuck. You know, by the way, um, there, you know, like, there are still Indigenous communities with boil water advisories 
that Justin Trudeau said he would fix. Um, thanks for the photo, but actually do something to help indigenous communities. You, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. What is that was supposed to be a project from day one about getting clean yeah. uh, drinking water to so many of these reserves. It's been completely forgotten. And uh, if he's going to do a photo op like that and I, you know, I'm with you, Sheila, in terms of taste, that is borderline. Um, why doesn't Justin Trudeau also address the fact that it was his father when he was prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, that was the last prime minister to sign off on these residential schools? That's something that seems to get forgotten in the narrative, too, isn't it? Yeah, Jean Chrétien, I think, was he, he was the uh, Indian affairs minister at the time um, when uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau signed off on these things. Pretty sure Jean Chrétien is still alive. Yeah. How come nobody's talking to him about him? Um, you know, if this were a conservative who was still alive and who participated in this, the media would be camped out in front of his house. Yeah. But because it's Jean Chrétien, literally nobody's talking about it. I bet you I just said that. And a substantial amount of our viewers had no idea. Yeah. Had no idea that Jean Chrétien was the Indian Affairs Minister when Pierre Elliott Trudeau signed off on the residential schools. I can and almost, he's still alive. Go yeah. talk to them. I can almost hear Jean Chrétien's answer involving those words like uh, a proven proof. <laughs> you know, the line I'm talking yeah. about, Sheila. So. Yeah. <laughs> we should, while however distasteful Justin Trudeau's picture at those unmarked graves was can we just take a minute to appreciate that he didn't show up in full regalia? Oh, can we just, wow. you know, can we just make be glad he didn't show up in his like buckskin jacket or whatever and turn it into a costume event? You know what? That is your bang on, Sheila. That I, I wonder. I really do wonder if that crossed his mind, that thought popped into his head and his advisors said, ah, no, uh, we kind of learned our lesson with the other Indians in India when you did that ridiculous dress-up affair with uh, Sophie and the kids. So uh, I guess we'll never know. You know, that spontaneous jumping out from behind the curtains and Trudeau dancing, that was sort <laughs> of planned, but not really. He wanted to do it. And I have this in Access to Information documents. He wanted to do it. His advisor said no, because it would be insane, right? But then at the last minute, he just did it anyway. So I think he's hard to handle. Like, yeah. <laughs> and oh you know God. what? She Our national shame. And, and there was a, I remember uh, shortly after that, there was a brilliant parody on Radio Canada, the French CBC service, about this trip. And that's when all the SJWs came out screaming about how offensive the parody was, but they were parroting the real life prime minister doing exactly the same thing. I mean, it's hard to make sense of the world sometimes, eh, Sheila? I don't know the rules anymore. <laughs> I just live my life. I don't know the rules. I don't make the rules. I'm just going to do what I do. Um, I think we've got a couple more hyper chats. Yes. So we've got one from Rosty says, thanks for giving the people a voice. Oh, you're welcome. Another hyper chat from Celtic Mutt. David is not correct. About what? Yeah. <laughs> there are okay, there are many of us here in the States that are watching what's going on in Canada oh. as a cautionary tale 
as Sheila just said, we love our Canadian brothers and sisters. I well, hope you pity us a little bit too. I stand corrected, and I'm, and you know what? I'm glad I'm incorrect. I, I would love to think that what's going on in our country engages an American audience. So thank you. And we've got a super you tip from Token. Well, thank you very much. I uh, tipped us $10. Wonderful. Thank you. And I think we're all caught up and we're only four minutes over time, David, instead of, you know, what are we reaching some days, 20, 25 minutes over time? Justin, you're going to get your lunch at a decent time. Oh, we can hardly wait. And uh, by the way, there's somewhere in Toronto that um, if you go and get your vaccination shot, Harvey's Canada will give you a free burger and an ice cream cone. I, I wonder if that's enough to seduce those that are uh, on the border of getting vaccinated or not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure about the complications and stuff. And and I was worried about, you know, whether or not it's right for me. But free ice cream. Yeah. Sign me up. Like, yeah. I can't believe that that's the thing now. A free burger, you say? Does it come with cheese and fries? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> throw bacon on there and I'll we'll think about it yeah then I'll get both jabs unbelievable yeah well folks uh the hour went by so fast thank you to all the people uh out there who made uh, generous contributions we really depend on that so thank you very much and Mr. Producer behind the board of course the epitome of execution excellence Sheila Gunn-Reed <laughs> and until next Tuesday uh I'm signing off uh Ezra will be here tomorrow and in the meantime, stay sane.